0: Great Well, I want to welcome co-CEos, Bill Kish and Jeff Schufelt, as well as Gus Hartle from GNF Financial Group to the Coastal Front studio this morning. Bill and Jeff have worked together in various capacities over the last 30 years and been co-CEos for nine of those years. Entering the financial industry in 1980, Gus has held leadership roles at both large and small credit unions. Together, these three gentlemen were at the forefront in guiding the merger of Alder Grove Credit Union and GNF Financial Group both strong, long-standing cooperatives. On July 7, 2021, Aldergrove Credit Union and GNF Financial Group announced their intention to merge into one unified credit union effective August 1st, 2021. Employees and members were consulted and invited to vote with a majority agreeing to the merger of like-minded credit unions who have worked together for many years. Together, total assets under new administration will be $4 billion. Today, we'll be exploring the steps involved in a merger of this size and how credit unions stack up against the big banks. Gentlemen, thank you for making time to come on our show today.
1: Thanks, Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Great.
0: We'll start with the mergers, and actually it's a good fit because of the fact that you're not only just completed this merger, but uh, Jeff, you just mentioned, as of yesterday, the regulator granted th- um, approval for two more potential mergers.
2: Yeah, credit unions are facing a lot of challenges and as the boards and uh, senior management teams look at their strategy annually, um, they probably face the same questions and challenges that we did. So uh, certainly there's increased competition. Um, The business is getting more competitive, rates are getting more competitive. Uh, There's new entrants, FinTechs uh, definitely entering the market. Um, You know, we're competing with banks all the time. So competition increases. Our members have greater expectations all the time. Apple announces something new at 11 and it's released at 8 a.m. and our members walk in wanting it the next day. So mm-hmm. it's hard to keep up with those member expectations. Um, regulations are getting uh, more difficult and, and greater on, on a complex business like we have. Um, and uh, it's important to grow. It really is important to grow, not, not necessarily for growth's sake, but for the opportunity it creates for your credit union, for your members, for your community, your staff and the credit union itself. And uh, so, uh, Vancouver Police Credit Union and Mount Lehman uh, Credit Union serve uh, really passionate uh, people in their communities. And uh, they looked at uh, the same challenges we we've have faced and Aldergrove looked at last year. And uh, so, about the last six months, we've been working on uh, what does it look like? Would it make sense to bring the credit unions together? There's actually a process we go through. And uh, we had word yesterday that uh, our regulator has given us consent to move forward. And now the most important part, which is, do the members want that to happen?
0: Right. Okay. Well, that's good. That's a good background, and actually a good segue into a question I have for you. So, in a merger of, say, two banks, for example, in a more traditional sense, especially if they were both publicly traded, um, you would have, uh, or like in any any two uh, any industry with publicly traded companies, there's a you know the profit tra- profit-driven in- uh, entities with uh, generally large shareholders that ha- account for a large part of the overall vote. Unlike a credit union where it doesn't matter how much money you have with a credit union, everybody has one member, one vote. Have I, have yeah. I got that right? That's
1: exactly okay. right.
0: So maybe Jeff or one of the others, could, could you comment on how a merger of two credit unions is quite different in its process? Uh, or it, it, you know, are there different challenges or is there more buy-in? Is it, can you explain the difference between that and say the merger of what you would see between two banks?
2: Yeah, probably at the foundation of it, there's no exchange of value. <laughs> okay. You know, you aren't looking to exchange the, this share for that share. Right. And so what are those shares worth and what do you get in exchange for your share? As a cooperative, it's very different. I mean, yeah. people, you can only have so much money in shares and you get one vote for that. So there's no concentration of ownership uh, intentionally with co-ops. Yeah. Um, and then as you, you look to merge, um, you know, what is important? um we are governed what's really different is we're governed by a board of directors who are members uh, representing the membership yeah. um, so they they represent the members and make a decision if it makes sense um, you try to determine uh, what's the name of the organization's going what's it going to be who's going to be in leadership roles um, those are kind of the critical things and uh, and then you move about really an exchange of shares through the process and uh, launching your new credit union. Sure. But of course, as I said, you, you need regulator consent, you need the um, membership to approve it, but probably more importantly, it is all about people. So it's your employees yeah. who are passionate and concerned about what it means to them. Sure. And and the passion that credit union members have for the credit union that they own uh, is is actually hard to believe at times how passionate people are. And you know, if you've been a member of a credit union, um, for 50 years and it's part of your community, that decision to say, okay, we're going to take a step that may change the name and may change our credit union is very significant for people.
0: It seems almost more meaningful because when you look at two mergers of two corporations, public companies, it is largely money driven, you know, the, the, the acquirer. Is looking to you know improve efficiencies or expand a new market, maybe like you're doing, and, and re- eliminate some redundancy, sort as they call synergies, right? As the often word often used. And the is, you know, those shareholders are generally looking for a big lift. You know, if they they've got whatever the share price is at ten bucks, they're looking for a thirty percent lift. That's a pretty good reason to say yes. But when there's no real financial motive here, it's got to be a lot more genuine, I imagine.
2: Yeah, I mean the the journey we were on with Gus and team at Aldergrove, it was really just all about opportunity. That's what you're trying to create, so what's the opportunity to expand the products and services for your members? Um, what's the opportunity for your staff? You know, can we have a greater impact in our communities than we had? And can we actually strengthen the credit union financially so it's in a better
3: position? It definitely is a unique type of transaction in here because it's based more on the emotion. Uh, The the process that Jeff talked to earlier is more about trying to deal with those deal breakers up front. You've got a business case that makes sense. It's obvious it's going to make sense. So in most combinations, that's a good enough reason to proceed. But here you're trying to anticipate where does the emotion of the members, is there a willingness to make it happen? Is it in the right interest of the staff? So you're absolutely right. It's more aligned with the employees, the membership. And what are the needs of those?
1: Okay, yeah, it's it's tough for, for people in the capitalistic world to really understand that. I you know tell a quick story about we I had a director who was actively involved in mergers and acquisitions and, and when we talked about you know this merger opportunity, I mean, and we talked about it being opportunity and you know uh, no uh, staff will continue to grow in their roles and and uh, you know he he wasn't buying it because he said every time he did, went through a merger and acquisition, it was it <laughs> will, will cut staff. And we'll make more money, and, and right. who cares? Who cares how the people feel? Yeah. And so, you know, we had to work through that because it was completely different. It, this this was about opportunity and growth for our staff and our members and the communities that we serve. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Thanks for that that point, Gus. Out of
0: interest, w- when you had your vote this summer, what was the what were the results? It, like, what percentage of members voted in favor of this? Yeah.
1: Out of the members that voted, it was seventy percent in favor. And oh wow, and,
0: uh, so it's, it's quite high.
1: It, yeah, hi, some would, I mean, you. you, you some, would, some would say low. Really? And, and, but when we did it guess bit I'm
0: of, used to elections with minority it, yeah. governments. <laughs> you, yeah. need so you need two-thirds. Yeah,
1: you need two-thirds. I'll oh, you need two-thirds? It. Yeah, so, you know, from that standpoint, we weren't, you know, okay. excessively above the bar. You said
0: you were 70? 70. 70, yeah. Oh, so you're, oh, okay, so it was just squeaked by, well, yeah. not just, but, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and uh, you know, one of my directors did a little bit of investigation, and, and, uh, and he said, you know, it's it's not uncommon for... There to be about a you know a, a sixty-five to seventy percent uh, vote, just given all of the emotional attachment to right. So the people that are are against so we're it, just talking about yeah. the people that are against it will come out because they've got a they've got a passion to to not proceed. The people that are in favor of it, they'll go, oh, this is going to pass anyway. Don't worry about I it. And so it was for me, it was all about reaching out to my members and saying. You know, uh, are you in favor? And if you are, then let's make sure you cast your vote. And
0: no, you're, you're, are you going to politics vote? next, Gus? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i drive so, that <laughs> vote.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly
3: the challenge. There's a silent majority, and getting the vote out is absolutely what yeah. it goes down to: is making sure. Fascinating.
0: Yes. Yeah, um, one of you mentioned earlier about maybe it was you, Gus, about uh, about your. Yeah, you just gave that story of your uh, board member who said, like, "Hey, we'll save money. We'll." But let's talk about that for a minute now. Uh, Tom Myers, who I love, great guy, worked with for years. He's now over at uh, Summerland. He left because I imagine that there is going to be sort of redundancies in a sense in certain in certain roles. Maybe not at the um, banker level, like at the uh, customer service level, but up higher up in management, whatnot. So, how do you guys deal with that? I mean, there is there challenges that you're facing there.
1: So, just real quickly, I mean, we we had a we felt like we had a position for everybody, and and uh, and and you know and when change happens in an organization, it's not uncommon for people to kind of step back and take a look at their personal situation and say, you know what, I've been thinking about making a change for a while, maybe right. today's the right day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, when people leave during a, a merger, the merger kind of always gets blamed for it. But at the end of the day, it's really about personal choice. And, and uh, yeah. uh, but I, I you know I'm proud to say that at the end of the day, our organization, our staff, well looked after. And uh, you know, in a real positive frame of mind, moving forward. Yeah. The other
3: side of that is, it's actually created vacancies for us. It's taken us to that next level where we can have the infrastructure to. to more, get more into data and analysis and more into the technology front, do more things on our own. So we actually had 30 to 40 vacancies created out of this. Oh, event. wow. So it was opportunities for the existing Being event. a bigger and organization allows you to think bigger, be bigger. And that's the reality of it. So I, sure. it's interesting because yeah, obviously staff are concerned.
0: And yeah. But yeah, you kind of just assume that there's going to be
3: layoffs, you know, people getting pink slips. and That's right. But then eventually the it becomes the opportunity for them to oh, I can try right. that now. And there's an area in there and there's room for growth. Yeah. And as Jeff said at the beginning, that... Feel of when you're growing, there's just opportunity. Yeah. It just it builds that great culture. Yeah. I think
1: a real good example is so you know my uh, uh, executive assistant. I mean, obviously you only need one uh, when you're moving into a new organization, but but she wanted a new challenge, and and so she's moved into a completely different role, yeah. and she's you know kind of been revitalized in her career, her choice, and so you know there's an example of yes redundancy but opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: good. Was there anything and this I guess more of a question for Bill and Jeff, was there anything in looking at Aldergrove that you said, Wow, you know, there's something that they're really good at that not that you're necessarily poor at, but that you just say, Wow, we could really we're gonna really benefit from this particular aspect of having Aldergrove being part of our team?
3: One of the most there, there were several things. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most attractive as I said earlier, that the fact that they are east of us and our members are moving eastward. So what better okay. way to accommodate that? So a
0: geographic advantage was a big thing.
3: Absolutely. And instead of us having to open branches out towards there, we automatically have a network out to Abbotsford and Mission and we can start looking beyond that at Chilliwack immediately, for example. And it would have been uh, 10 years before we could have considered that without that. So that's one. But obviously from the people, we've been such good collaborative partners over time that
2: we had aligned
3: our systems, we had been working together, so it just made sense from so many angles.
2: And When you talk about redundancy and you look at the map of the branches, yeah. and branches are important, you know, GNF had about 18 branches that ended at Langley, and members are going east and have for many years asked us, When are you going to open in Abbotsford? When are you going to get out? Oh, you were being asked, okay. For, yeah. Even 10 years ago, we identified Abbotsford as an area that our members are moving to. Um, but there are, are a lot of great, you know, a lot of creating competition in the valley. Yeah. And when you actually took the GNF branch network that ended in Langley, and you take, then look at Aldergrove that starts in Langley and goes east, you know, there's no redundancy of branches at all, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like there was a grand plan. Um, and now it creates opportunity for us, and you know, we, we will be opening some new branches that individually we wouldn't have been able to do. Um, and ra- rather rapidly, we'll be able to add uh, some branches to our network in the valley. And, uh, again, that creates more jobs. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So we're looking for people. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're looking at me. There's opportunities. <laughs> I'm looking for people, too.
0: I think we're all in the same boat there.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, one of my questions is, is there a cookie-cutter blueprint to mergers? I mean, you've had what seems like, I mean, it's only been a few months so far, but a successful merger with Aldergrove. You, you mentioned these ones with Mount Lehman. Where's Mount Lehman, by the way?
2: In Mount Lehman. Yeah, Where, right you, I,
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, am Abbotsford, Abbotsford. I yep. apologize know. to listeners if yeah. you live in Mount, Mount <laughs> so Lehman, Mount, I'm going to come visit. I don't. Yeah. I have a Mount
1: Lehman Centre branch and, oh. and that's in the uh, west part of Abbotsford and, and, and the Mount Lehman Credit Union is just in about the 5k out into the
0: rural Okay, area. is it a single branch? Uh, okay, yeah. gotcha. And then the Vancouver Police Credit Union, I'm assuming that's a single branch location.
2: 2 The one Gravely in the police station and yes. one on Victoria. But they also they serve police, they serve uh, correction officers, yeah. and also people that work at the border, border. Gotcha. Okay.
0: So, is there a cookie cutter model here that you can apply? I mean, is it, is it are they, are all mergers generally the same in that sense, or are
2: they quite different? I wish they were. I mean, yeah. the only cookie cutter part of it might be the process you have to go through, um, but it's all about people again. And uh, first, you have to really figure out if there's a match. You know, we've we've had conversations in the past and. You know, it doesn't take too long to to have a conversation and figure if there's a connection between the t- two organizations or not. And we've walked away from previous conversations yeah, um, okay. and uh, where where there is a fit it, it and particularly where the trust has been established over years, like we we had with Gus and Alder Grove Credit Union, it, that part is much easier. You're, you know, you're not, you're not worrying what's behind the under a stone yeah. um, because you have that trust. Uh, but when you actually get into it, recognizing the impact on the employees and the members, understanding them, that's actually probably the, the, the hardest part of the journey and there's no cookie cutter to that. Right. Um, when we started with Aldergrove, uh, we had a steering committee that includes some of our directors and, and uh, one of the Alder Grove directors, one of the first things he asked management is, uh, how do we know where we should be together? Like, maybe we should do a cultural assessment. And we actually hired a third party that came in, oh, talked that. to our employees, um, and uh, you know they came back and said, well, we're, we're actually quite shocked at the DNA. you, Your employees, your organizations are very similar. You do have some differences, but they may be more complementary than conflicting. Okay. So um, a fair bit of effort went into that process. But, but let's talk about
0: this consolidation. Now, Bill, you mentioned earlier a stat on the number of credit unions in the 1960s and BC was... Right.
3: There was over three hundred. Over the 300. Time.
0: Yes. So my observation, you know, knowing this industry quite well, there's two big, I see big shifts happening in the credit union space. One is this continued consolidation of credit unions, um, and Jeff, you spoke earlier to things like competing with fintech, uh, regulatory burdens, that kind of things. So maybe we can talk about like why is this happening? Is it really good for our society? Is it good? And then the second thing is this shift from. Uh, provincially regulated credit unions to federal. And I'd like to get your comments on yourselves. Are you planning to... So maybe we'll start with the first part, which is opening up to like, why are we seeing a continued consolidation? What do you, where do you think it ends? Do we get to a point where we're down to 50 credit unions in BC? And is this really good for Canadians, for consumers, for bank people in the bank, you know, retail uh, customers in the banking world?
3: It's a natural course of what happens in cooperatives I think over time there was a need, there was a reason it built up to 300. society. That's the only time you really know what the purpose of an organization is. People get together and they start a new group in there and at that time you either had so many reasons like occupational bond, ethnic bond, regional, geographic ties, whatever reason there was a need for those credit unions to form. Right. As they expand, as they grow, sometimes that need changes and it disappears. Sometimes other financial institutions start to serve that need and they can fulfill it more Uh, easily than some of the other ones. So at some point it makes sense to start working together. The cooperative system by its nature is trying to behind the scenes have a central organization or work on things collaboratively as much as it possibly can. So as you gain success in those collaborative ties sometimes a merger becomes the obvious next choice because we've got so much in common in the back office why don't we just combine the balance sheets. That's where the emotion comes in that we talked about earlier in terms of making sure that the members understand why it's in their best interest. They have emotion. They love the employee they deal with. They love having the coming into the routine that they've got in there. Right. And at the end of the day, it becomes about the, the real testament at the end of the day is when they come in there, you know, I wanted to hate it, but I don't. It's created this opportunity. You've got a call center. Now you've got something new in there that we didn't have before. So it creates that. So I think it's a natural extension. We're down to 40 now in BC. Okay, 40, um, credit 40 credit unions out of that 300 so yeah. now it's not been a linear path down it goes through phases where yeah. you go very quickly and a bunch change and then all of a sudden they don't and then there's some discussions and whether
0: and where are we at here in 2021 has it been a f- the last couple of years have been
3: it's been at 40 for quite almost a decade now so it's oh, okay. it's an interesting curve where the NBC is unique there and other provinces the consolidation trend has continued so BC yeah. got to this 40 probably ahead of the rest of the country and now it's the, the others have caught up and now yeah. it's time to continue and see where those opportunities take us. As long as there's a good reason for the credit union to exist, as long as its members are still growing, as long as there's a value proposition that it's offering, it can expand and that's not dependent on size. If you're in a community where there's a need or if you're serving a segment where there's a need, then you can be around for a very long time and there's a reason for you. Without
0: having to grow your member base, is what you're saying?
3: Correct. Or yeah. like for
0: yeah. example, I mean, if I throw a name out there, like say, like a Sharon's Credit Union that kind of services the Korean, the the Lower Mainland Korean community. Absolutely. So even if that community is only growing by a certain, like that, that would be a,
3: a niche. As long as that community continues to support the credit union right. and see the needs, and there are several examples like that. Yeah. Those can be around for a long time, or even in geographic ones, and yeah. Salmon Arm Credit Union or Grand yeah. Forks Credit Union, they have some pretty strong. Right. Okay, so then let, let me let me pick
0: one here that you guys are working on, which is Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Police Department. I mean, it would seem to me that um, they've got a need within their department, and uh, the Vancouver Police Department just continues to grow. You mentioned also corrections. Yeah. So how come they decide they want to do this? What, what was the desire there?
1: I think there's also been a bit of a perfect storm over the last, uh, you know, 18 to 24 months with uh economically our interest rates have you know hit an all-time low and financial margin has always played a big part in in our the majority of our of our income um the certainly the the COVID has impacted how people do business so there are more people using the digital uh, avenues um, and you know and 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 finding talent it's uh you know it's tough out there to, to 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 fill holes in your organization so all those things when you step back as a smaller organization and you go you know, strategically, we need to take a look at other options to, you know, so that we can be around for the, the grandkids and the great grandkids of our, of our members.
0: Let's talk about some of the other uh, changes that we're seeing in banking. And You mentioned earlier, Jeff, fintech. Um, would this be another reason why we're seeing consolidation because I imagine that the, um, uh, th- being able to do banking remotely is uh, obviously for the consumer, it's a good, th- a good thing. Um, especially what we've experienced with COVID for last year. People have been not been able to or not felt good about, uh, comfortable about coming to their homes. But I imagine also poses a challenge because you're trying to compete against the other credit unions across the country once some of them have gone national. Um, do you want to comment on the challenges you face there or the opportunities you face there?
2: Yeah, part of our question is bricks and mortar and, and uh, digital. And yeah. um, even for Vancouver Police Credit Union, you know, they, they do have two physical locations, but most of their members are south of the river and out to the valley. Um, so the branch does play a role. Um, people want to know where their money is. Uh, that's why we have branches. And then the reality is 95% of their transactions are digital. And so we need to find a way to allow people to do banking, where and when they want it, uh, and frankly, some of those new tools can actually improve the financial lives of people. You know, it can tell you you may have a bill payment in a week that's going to overdraw you, and instead of paying service charges, you actually have the intelligence in these tools to help you with your your uh, your money management. You know, it may tell you that as a twenty-three-year-old, you're going to the bar more than the average person. So, some of these tools actually can really improve the financial lives of people. Um, where the challenge is, is decades past, you would put in some technology and it's going to be there forever. Right. Now you're putting in technology at times that might be there for a year or two or three years. Amazing, it, yeah, and it's more plug and play. And uh, so you're having to invest an awful lot more uh, and have the capabilities on your team to be adaptive for your members right. uh, because it is changing all the time. And th- there are some great products being created by FinTechs. Um, Vancouver is a hotbed of FinTechs, but uh, looking at uh, financial tools for people um, but they don't have a membership or client base to start with. We actually have that and we have the trust of our members and frankly at times fintechs are coming to organizations like banks and credit unions to say, okay, we have a great product, could we maybe partner with you because you have a client base? Right, I
3: think that's the exciting change that's happened over the past decade. Or so at first it was a threat, fintechs are coming yeah. in, they're gonna take everybody out of business. And then you realize that that's the opportunity they're, They've identified a need, they've identified something they can cherry pick. So it is a threat to the credit union from a revenue source perspe- perspective. But it's also the opportunity because they still need to understand that trust, the relationship with the member. So how do you collaborate? How do you work with the fintechs? Right, and it's right. That's the exciting opportunity. Yeah. yeah,
0: those are some good points. Uh, So, obviously, we've identified the fintech space as being an opportunity, but also a bit of a threat. So, there's a need for consolidation as the capital costs for implementing in fintech are are pretty high. The other challenge you mentioned earlier, I think, Jeff, you mentioned, is on the regulatory side. And I think that to these single branch locations like a Mount Lehman or a CCEC, I don't know how they can possibly maintain the kind of uh, proper compliance they need to maintain by the BC regulator, uh, which is mirroring off of the federal regulator, when you're such a small one-branch operation. Is that a fair comment?
3: That's a very fair comment. It becomes more and more challenging. When you're in a smaller credit union, you're a generalist, you wear several hats, and you've got so many things that you have to do during the day, Uh and if a lot of that is ticking boxes and meeting regulatory requirements, which are critical, they're absolutely essential to make sure that there's a certain standard, but uh, it's not a one size fits all model. And BCFSA has come in and they've actually changed the model from FICOM. They're trying to modernize their procedures and they're doing a pretty good job, but it's a slow transition. And there is yeah. just much more that you from physical reporting from all of these other things that you just need additional
2: staff. And that's another cost that yeah. the smaller credit unions have to absorb. And needless to say, the backdrop of all this is cybersecurity and the threats that we have yes. you know, to, to us as an organization, to our members, you know, um, there's people praying all the time, and uh, as people are using more and more digital tools, it's harder for some of our population and members to to know how to use them, but more particularly safely. Yeah. And uh, so we we need to build robust systems to protect our members and the credit union. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you get support from you mentioned uh, Bill BCS FSA, which for the listeners that aren't familiar, this is the government uh, run. It's now a crown corporation because changed from the old. Uh, FICOM. FICOM, thank you. Uh, but it's the regulatory body that oversees the banking system for credit unions uh, in BC. Uh, you also have Central One, which is almost like a central bank for the BC and Ontario credit union system. And then you also have the members uh, the other credit unions, because it's a lot more collaborative as I can observe from the outside, versus the banks who are profit-driven, kind of competing against each other. So do you, do you get support from those three, so other credit unions? BCFSA and, um, and Central One in things around regulatory support, FinTech ideas or ways in which you can provide better services or more secure service to members?
2: Um, with our regulator, uh, of course, their number one job is to protect the depositors. But um, they do work collaboratively with us uh, to, to identify areas we need to focus on. Um, we're under constant monitoring yeah. uh, as everyone that's um, regulated by them, but uh, they are there, um, they're, they're not working against us. You know, they, they do want to, to support credit unions and know that we play an important role in the economy. Central One's the biggest vendor supplier we have, you yes. know, they um, particularly, Where we don't compete we need to do things together and even some of the banks do that well now Figured out if it's not something that uh, is that important on the front end of competing, then you can do that collaboratively and and central one plays uh,
0: Like securitizing mortgages and that type of thing. And our clearing and Treasury operations
2: They uh, they do an awful lot in that area.
0: Yeah, the other thing that I, before we talk about why credit unions are so much better than banks, the other thing I want to talk about, you guys are all laughing. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk about is this pivot from provincially provincially regulated credit unions to federally regulated. So it was back, I think, under Stephen Harper's administration, where they sort of laid the groundwork to allow for a national registration of, of a credit union. A credit union can basically become Federally regulated so for the listeners to understand this means going from being regulated by a local regu- BCFFSA FSA to FICON, the financial institutions uh, Commission um, and uh, And and so now they're basically regulated like the banks are so with the first one we saw was uni credit union out in uh, New Brunswick and knowing those people really well out there they they their main objective was because they were so big as a Decentralized credit union system when they merged they they needed a bigger regulator um, so that was their, and they're, they're, they've been very clear, they're not, they're not motivated in trying to go national. And then, and I forget the fellow's name, but the former CEO who launched at uh, Coast Capital Savings, what was Lloyd it? Craig. Lloyd Craig. And as I understood, I never met Lloyd, but I understood- And then Tracy
3: Reddy's actually. Uh-huh. And then Tracy Reddy's followed up on that path.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, and their, their, their goal was to see Coast Capital Savings become Canada's first national credit union. Coast to coast. Coast to coast, yeah, good name. Uh, we've seen First West Credit Union, they're in the merger space. Actually, one of the things we'll also talk about actually is, uh, is the branding, but we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. So, but First West has also made it clear that they want to go national. Innovation Credit Union wants to go national in Saskatchewan. I don't know where Meridian sits on this. I think they're looking to do this. So it seems like there's a lot of credit unions in various provinces across Canada looking to go national. Can you provide some colour on this? And where is GNF standing on
3: that today? Sure, Meridian and Alterna actually have bank subsidiaries. So does Van City. So that's a different way from going federal and getting that uh, federal access, but okay. doing going it through opening a bank subsidiary as well. So they're they're all trying to accomplish similar objectives, but for various reasons where and they Vancity are in those organizations. Well, huh? Van City was one of the first ones to have a subsidiary right. bank and. Citizens Bank originally and it's expanded now. Um, so the, the, there's many reasons for doing that. Um, a lot of that is sometimes the regulatory environment is inconsistent, credit unions are re- uh, provincially regulated, so if you try to do business outside in multi provinces, it can be a barrier to that. Uh, the inconsistencies, which is the deposit insurance levels as well, so you have different levels of deposit insurance in different provinces, BC is an unlimited. Um, if you look at the actual trend, they're preparing for the future in various capacities. And if you notice, there's just, it's a balancing act between physical branches and digital, between trying to understand what the consumer needs now and what they're willing to do in these locations and whatever else. So managing the timing and a lot of it is boils down to how long. So it's a long-term play. They first started talking about that legislation in the 1990s and now it's expanded and it takes about 20 years to get there. So if your growth plans are multi-provincial, I think that comes into play in one capacity. I don't think a branching strategy makes sense. You're not going to be able to afford to open branches, yeah. but your merger opportunities, it opens up a different playing field across the country. For G and F, we, as we said, are pretty much a lower mainland credit union we're out with Chilliwack's our next plan. We think there's opportunities within here, so we don't see the need to move there. Okay. That's not to say down the road, it doesn't make sense for us at some point, and it's nice to have legislation in play. And we're always in favor of leveling the playing field of the regulatory environment because it's confusing to people when you have to operate in multiple jurisdictions sure okay that's really helpful
0: any other comments jeff or gus on on your observation of of why we're seeing credit unions beyond what bills just said
2: no you, you have to know your members it ultimately comes down to that who are your members who are you serving and what are their needs and uh we have studied it and continue to watch it but for, for our credit union, our members um we we felt that they were well served the where we're serving them now so it, sure. it didn't mean leaving bc yet yeah <laughs> and,
1: and it's not an easy journey i mean no. you know no. i can think of first west because they're right in my backyard and i actually used to work uh, um, for envision for first heritage and um you know they've been working on it for a, a lot of years and it's yeah. been a lot of a, a lot of work and 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 cost and you know they, they it's coming to uh, uh, the point of the member vote in early november and and uh, we wish them all the best
0: yeah, yeah. It's a huge undertaking. Before we switch to why banks are not as good as credit unions, uh, the one other thing I want to ask you about when it comes to mergers, there's two merger models, right? So there's the one that's like, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to be good, a good example where it's all one brand. I call it the Coca-Cola model, yeah. right? You, you, where, no matter what branch you go into or, you know, whatever, whatever vending machine you see, when you see that Coca-Cola logo, you know it. Um, Can you give me a good example of a credit union that's done this and mergers under their branding in Canada? Uh, To
2: go under one One, service in Alberta.
0: Yes, bingo. That's a good one, Jeff. Thank you. So service credit union. So any acquisition or merger they do, that smaller credit union gets wrapped up under the service brand. They rebrand all the branches, everything. By contrast, you have First West and a lot of people don't know. First West is the third largest credit union in BC, second largest uh, under provincial jurisdiction. And, it, and they have uh, Envision Credit Union, right? Uh, Island Savings, Valley First, and they have that one little brand. Enderby. Uh, thank you. Not too bad, hey? Um, so they've got a model where they've decided to keep that local presence. Um, what, do you, what is GNF doing with that and Aldergrove? And, and, what do you, for, how, do you, and how do you make that decision between a... Um, a centralized sort of single brand across all those jurisdictions, or going the First West route of having like a decentralized sort of branding?
2: I I think it starts a little bit with the passion we talked about and people owning their credit union and and the name. Um, When you're in different communities like First West, uh, probably made sense to have one brand. Uh, For us, kind of serving the lower mainland but you know that definitely there's different parts to the market of the Lower Mainland. But the reality is people travel w- within our community of the Lower Mainland. Yeah. And uh, if we had different brands that were more um, community-based serving, uh, if a member were to move drive by a GNF and then an Aldergrove and not, not know it was the same credit union, um, they probably wouldn't know they could use it.
0: Yeah, that'd be kind of an unfortunate situation. you almost want them to, yeah.
2: And and one of the things that we sometimes battle with uh, is credit union members and and the community don't realize um, how big the credit union network is, that we have the largest ATM uh, service fee free network in Canada, you know, people would assume it's the banks. That's right? a good plug. This it, gets, this yeah. Well, people don't, don't realize it. that. Yeah. Um, so for us, at least in the lower mainland, uh, understanding that, but we actually are going through a brand journey right now. We've hired a third party that's helping us get to the core of who we are, what our values are. Um, and, and the brand discussion is part of that and okay. probably for another day. But, um, you know, one of the bigger differences is, um, Aldergrove used the, has used the word credit union, uh, GNF moved from that about 20 years ago to financial group to to kind of convey to people that we do more than just um, credit. Um, in our province, you know, research has shown about a third of British Columbians deal with credit unions, a third of British Columbians love credit unions, a third would never deal with a credit union, and a third doesn't know. <laughs> and so we're fighting for that third in the middle. Yeah. Um, and uh, so are you a credit union, financial group, um, as an industry it's a question that's asked quite a bit okay so and that's why you jury's have, out maybe so just far. van city you hear the one brand right yeah maybe right. like share you hear yeah. one name instead yeah. of uh, yeah. what they are
0: yeah so jury's still out on where the branding will go for yourselves but that's a good example and you're right i mean if you look at island savings being gro- having grown up on vancouver island myself and Islanders tend to be really passionate about the fact that they're from the island. I think for First West case, it was probably a smart idea to keep that island savings. I think if it got rebranded under Envision, it probably wouldn't have been as um, well accepted.
3: I think the jury's still out. As you look at future potential opportunities, you have to continue to evaluate that situation and look at the circumstances. Yeah. The important thing is to recognize the heritage of where you came from and make sure that you are honouring the local feel. So as you said, island savings is extreme value in that brand. People from the island would really appreciate being from the island. So as you look in there, how do you continue to make sure that you're honouring or recognising the heritage?
0: Yeah, yeah, good. Okay guys, now's to the big one. Why are credit unions better than banks? Who wants to start with that one?
2: Well, I, I, I wasn't born into credit unions. I, I, I learned to love them about 30 years ago when I joined the credit union. Um, and I think what uh, is really unique is the sense of ownership, that you actually own the credit union. Um, certainly there are customers of banks that also own the shares. Yeah. Um, but that sense of ownership uh, really does play out. And a, a really great example was during the financial crisis about 10 years ago, Um, when people were really struggling, one of the best performing credit card portfolios in North America was Canadian credit unions. Sure was. Because the members own their credit union and they don't wanna let their credit union down. So um, that sense of ownership is certainly different. You have a say, you have a vote uh, in in our election process and our governance. um, and you have a share. But as we said before, you have one share, you have one vote. Um, you, you can't gain control of it. So that, that certainly is where it starts. Yeah, that's a good point, Jeff. One, one of
1: the things for me is, you know, it, it's around profit. And and we need to make a profit as a credit union in order to continue to grow and, and uh, add the the resources and tools that our, our members uh, need. But we're not driven by the ultimate profit that, and to pay the shareholder the the, the maximum amount and, and uh, you know when and we give back to our communities so uh, in in a big way uh, not only with money but in, through volunteer of, of staff and at various levels uh, so you know um, that the staff inside the branches are are yes they uh, are are selling our products and promoting our products but in the best interest of our members as opposed to shareholders. Uh, that's a
0: really good point, Gus. I'm sure, Bill, you've got something to say as well, but I'll just a segue on that. Uh, my observation has been that the nice thing about credit unions is they aren't completely profit-driven. It's not about the almighty dollar, and they're not having to focus on increasing dividends and paying out shareholders. And so you get this nice mix of, yes, you have to generate a, a profit for those purposes you demonstrate, as well as your depositors want to see you have a profit. And no one wants no one's to deposit with a banking institution that can't turn a profit. Yeah. Um, but it does. I, my observation has been that, and I don't know if you have any stats on this, that credit unions seem to contribute a lot to the community, the local communities they operate in, more so I think than the banks do. The banks are really good at promoting their community involvement, but a lot of that's just, in my mind, is just advertising
3: and promotion. Um, do you have any thoughts or comments on, on that? I think you nail hit the nail on the head. There is that that the, you don't have that separation between shareholders and members; they're one and the same. The customer right. is the shareholder. So when you have that, you're not on this treadmill to continually every quarter, have to please a shareholder group, which could be at the expense of the membership at the end of the day. So that's where it starts at the core. And then you do want to remain financially sound, but it's not for profit maximization purposes at that stage. It is so you can do exactly what you just said, give back to the community, train your employees, provide more convenience, invest in your technology, do things that are good across the board. So on the community side in particular, it is a cause for GNF and all credit unions at the end of the day is to support where they're coming from and that local feel uh, we have great partnerships with every municipality that we have branches within. And that's, uh, we support their events within those communities, uh, both in a financial standpoint, but more importantly, from a volunteer standpoint. So yeah. they are one and the same as our staff members in each of the locations where their branches are, are trying to make the schools, the community interests, whatever the events are in those communities, the hospital organizations, that much better. Okay. So as Jeff said with the credit card portfolio, members feel loyalty to their credit union. They want their credit union to succeed. There's peer pressure from the members along there. So especially when you're in those smaller organizations which continues to exist Uh, they are conservative by nature they are there for their members they're not attempting to maximize profit so you don't take the bigger risks at the end of the day you're making sure you've got prudent underwriting, and there are so many layers of protection in there behind it that you uh, it's, it's hard to imagine a situation. You start with basic lending underwriting skills and loan to values and TDS, GDS ratios. Then you look at the monitoring behind it, the reporting to the regulator, the internal audit functions you have in there, the capital, especially over the last 10 years, it's been building up capital for that rainy day. And then you do stress testing on that capital. And you try to imagine the enormity of the situation that it would take where property values would have to go down more than 50% across the board for an extended period of time. Unemployment would have to be some ridiculous number and you still are at a stage where you're above the regulatory minimum capital in those stress environments. Right. So, and Jeff,
0: now I know why we brought Bill. You said this, he's the technical guy. That's a great answer. And and actually I think it's a nice, because you said earlier, Jeff, the other part is members don't want to let their, other members and their and their banking institution down. Or well, the people when they the people, visit the branch and that's they know right. yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's about intimacy too. I mean we, we maybe uh, my personal opinion is we we know our members yeah. a little bit better than maybe the, the chartered banks do and we know yeah. the communities that we operate and in not intimately. Just a yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I often say that credit unions are what banks used to be hundred and
2: fifty years mm. ago. Well yeah. it's a good plug. I mean just yeah. it's timely, yeah. Um, you know we do compete with other credit unions for sure, but there's there's a codependence. You know we do uh, a lot in the background together. And um, Ipsos Reid just did their annual survey of uh, financial institutions, and for the 17th year in a row, credit unions came out number one in in service for people. Wow. Um So you know we're, we're part of that, but it's also an industry that is maybe more about people. And as we say, the, the people we serve own us.
0: Right. That's good. That's good uh, summary. Um, let me let me ask you this question: Do you feel that the Bank Act, or the way in which the banking uh, environment in Canada is structured, gives an unfair advantage to the Big Six banks over credit unions, or do you even care?
2: I think there's room for us to compete. I mean, the banks are good at some things for sure, um, but our you know we offer many of the same products. I, I think at times we can compete more. I mean, it does depend on a credit union's own structure and needs. Um, I know, uh, you know, when we're looking to raise deposits, the first thing Bill often says is I'd rather give a member a great rate than someone that's not a member. Right. Um, so, so, you know, right. that's that's why we're there.
1: Gus? Yeah, I, I think we've, with what we have, I think we have lots of runway to continue to be successful and and continue to grow. And, and uh, um, you know, we're uh, we celebrate when we take business away from the banks yeah. that's uh, that's why you know that's what we're here for because we i've always told but do them you people, feel that
0: like, do you feel they have an unfair advantage at all
1: i i don't think so i mean no, i think okay. there's i mean they've got advantages in certain areas and then we've got adva- advantages in certain areas and you know one of the things i've told my teams over the years is is our biggest challenge is to get people through our doors because once we get people through our doors and they realize the difference in how they're treated then they will stay with us for a while. Okay.
3: From an actual member perspective, I don't think so. From an operating and from an odds, I think they can hedge their bets a little bit. Right. They can afford to invest in 200 fintechs yeah. in the hope that they might identify the couple that might be the ones that really take off in there. Right. But I think that just forces credit to be a little more creative, a little more intimate, and a little bit more uh, finding those opportunities in a better way where you yeah. you you can't, define, you can't take the easy way out and just say, okay, one of them is going to succeed. You've got to find those other yeah. opportunities. But it, what it does do is enhance innovation and creativity. And if you go back historically, a lot of the, especially from a member perspective, the original interest bearing accounts, the original mortgages for specific reasons originated with credit unions.
0: Yeah. I'd like to ask you about SIBA. Uh, so it it, it, there's a number of initiatives that came out, um, but one in particular that I know impacted the banking system, credit unions and banks alike. Canada Emergency Business Account came out last year, early last year. Um, and it, it's been a bit of a windfall, in my view, for the banking sector, because a lot of the people who applied for these loans, a lot of these business owners, including myself for full disclosure, applied for it and, and never really needed the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, a, it was a free handout by the federal government, because it was ri- originally $40,000, of which you only had to pay back 30, zero interest. Um, the money was all being put up by the federal government. Um, And as I understand it, the banking institutions get uh, 40 basis points administration fee annually for that uh, administering this. Um, And then they came out with an extra $20,000, I'm so used to dealing millions and billions, another $20,000 on top of which you only had to pay out half of that. Um, So you're talking about $60,000 of which you only have to pay back $40,000, and $60,000 capital interest-free. But from talking to a lot of the bankers that I talk with, it sounded like most of that money sat in the bank accounts, went put in deposits, which meant then those banks and credit unions could turn around and lend it out in the form of loans. Um, it seemed to me, from when I observed it, the, ba- the credit unions were kind of late getting access to this, which gave the banks, and that's why I was going to my earlier question of an unfair advantage, I feel like this is a good example where the banks really did have a bit of an unfair advantage to capture a huge amount of this market. Can you comment on that for me, please?
3: In in the middle of a crisis, speed is everything. And the government is trying to do its best to come up with some program. But they're talking at a high level and the details are not worked out in there at all. So behind the scenes, everyone's trying to come together with these things. It was structured so that the banks can have access to that. Credit unions, they don't want to deal with um, 200 credit unions across the country to figure this out. So larger credit unions also had an advantage because they're big enough to be at the table for some of these conversations. Otherwise, you have the national credit union organization, the credit union organization, Canadian Credit Union Association, and then you've got Central One doing the mechanics of it behind the scenes for the BC and Ontario Credit Unions. So it took a little extra time for those, especially for those who aren't large enough to have the seat at the table. That's another reason for the merger. We're not growing for growth's sake. We were actually at GNF the smallest credit union that was able to get that access sooner and in the country. So we actually just crossed that threshold and we were fortunate in that regard. But it but it definitely takes a little more effort and a little more time in those yeah. circumstances okay that's
0: great thanks bill Guess, jeff any further comments you want to add to that or that's
2: well, the importance of and the way we're structured the way we are you know um being provincially regulated and most of the great unions in canada being provincial when there's a federal issue we need to find a way to get a common voice same thing happens with taxation, and CCA takes a role There's in that CCA for us. The, the Canadian or, Credit Union Association—it's yeah, kind of like our trade association. Trade association. Yeah. yeah, and they play a role in um, public relations and yeah. dealing with the government, and and uh, so that does show the power when credit unions come together and, and work on something, and then we can be heard. Okay.
1: Yeah, Aldergrove was a little bit behind because we were a little bit smaller than GNF, but uh, the irony of it was, uh, you know, the the. Uh, relationship building that happened as a result of our commercial account managers reaching out to our individual business clients and and helping them through the process really built a loyalty throughout this whole process. Oh great, that's excellent.
0: Good, well we're coming to the end here. I do want us to give you an opportunity to talk a bit more about this merger, you know, uh, put a little plug here. So when it comes to uh, the merged entity of Aldergrove and Gulf and Fraser, um, you've got how many branches now? How many how many members? What are we talking? What are the stats here?
2: So we'll have fifty-two thousand members uh, operating in twenty-five branches. We have uh, a couple on the drawing board. Yeah. Um, one will open in Guildford later this year. Um, where we're looking at other markets, and um, so it creates opportunities. How many employees, Jeff? Roughly? We have about three hundred and thirty employees, and uh, we're looking for those other forty right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> And I have to say, it's pretty impressive that you two fellas, and I can now see how you work, you're like yin and yang is very, uh, that you've managed to be co-CEOs for 10 years and, and build and grow this institution as both a person, a partner with you guys on the institutional deposit side, but also as a member at GNF, um, I've really been, you know, happy to work with you guys. It's been a great experience. And it's very uncommon to see co-CEOs last very long. You guys have got almost 10 years under your marriage together here. This is quite yeah, 10 and a half, actually. We're almost <laughs> ready to celebrate. And
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely was unique. Um, and uh, when our board was looking for a new leader, uh, it was something that we proposed. But uh, we, we work in a cooperative industry. And uh, if it's going to work anywhere, it should work with a great union. Yeah, We've been able to have a
3: lot of fun with it over that time and try and uh, there's the obvious benefits to it of being able to be in two places at once and do those but you get the jokes are you one one Monday, Wednesday, Friday, (laughs) the other one Tuesday, Thursdays or whatever it is but you just uh, it's been a pleasure because we just build on each other's skill sets and it's been a constant learning curve. Yeah
1: great
0: and sounds like you're fitting in quite well too with these guys you've been known for a long time so. yeah and
1: and, and and that's really the secret sauce to this whole merger is this the relationship that we've enjoyed for 10 years and and the trust that's been built up over over that time and uh, uh, you know they, they've welcomed me with open arms to to their table and, and uh, um, you know I'm, I'm proud of what our organization was able to produce in the past but but so looking forward to what we can do together uh, with our branch network and and the communities that we will continue to give back to. Yeah.
0: Great. Well, Bill, uh, Gus and Jeff, thank you, three gentlemen, for coming on to Coastal Front today. It's been a great conversation, and I wish you the best with not only this merger, future ones, and and growing success for, for GNF Financial Group. So thanks for being on uh, Coastal Front today. Thank you.